It's showtime. Don't say it, please. Don't say it. No, I have to say it, Mitch. Showtime. Showtime. It's showtime, everybody. Showtime. Hello and welcome back to the Showtime Movie Podcast. My name's Show, your host, as always, and. Uh, has, uh, has become a yearly tradition. I, I guess I take a little bit of a break after TIFF, I guess, uh, both thanks to the busy schedule and, you know, getting up at, you know, the crack of dawn to see movies. No, I'm not complaining. Don't get me wrong. TIFF is, I think, one of my favorite parts of the entire It is my favorite part of the entire year, second being uh, the Super Bowl and third being the Oscars, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's been, been a busy time. A lot of changes at work for me. A lot of changes at work. And that has caused quite the fluctuations in my schedule. You know, waking up at 3.30 a.m. to go to work one day and then, you know, not having to go to work until 7 p.m. and then staying at work until 3.30 a.m. another day. You know what I mean? It's been kind of busy. So I have been seeing movies. I have been writing about movies. I have been talking with my coworkers, my friends, and my family about movies. But I haven't had the time to get behind the microphone and talk to you guys about movies. But here I am. We're back. The Showtime Movie Podcast is back, and I promise we won't take any more giant hiatus until, at the very least, next TIFF, right? Because that seems to be, the, like I mentioned, the pattern at this point. Uh, got a bit of a packed podcast for you today. We have a guest today. I managed to sit down and chat with my friend and coworker Rob Wong, who is uh, a host here at Sportsman 590, the fan, and, of course, also has his own podcast, Wong on One, where he interviews you know, a number of different people about their journey through sports and their journey into broadcasting. And I find it really, it's really great. You should go find it, check it out if you have a, if you have a sec, but we're going to talk about some movies with Rob and he recently managed to see Bong Joon-ho's masterpiece Parasite, right? So I saw that at Tiff. It was great film. And so we're going to talk about that with Rob and we're also going to get to a little bit about Joker and Gemini Man, Will Smith's most recent film so three great movies or you know three let me let me rephrase that because they're all pretty good but three very different movies right i mean they, they all deal with such different things they have some overlap in terms of themes but i would say for the most part they're all very very different so we'll get to all of those in due time this won't be a very long episode don't worry but we i spent a little bit more time with rob because i managed to get him to come in studio he's very generous with this time so we're only going to do a, a you know we'll do some quick hitting reviews of joker and gemini man not that i think you know i mean what more needs to be said about those two movies at this point i'm sure you guys have all heard the public discourse about joker and gemini man it's more about its visual effects than anything else, but it still merits talking about, so we will talk about that. But first, something that is very near and dear to my heart. It's an instinct. Feeling. The force brought us together. People will fight if we lead them. People keep telling me they know me. No one does. But I do. Know. 
That's right. If you couldn't tell, that is just a snippet from the most recent and final Star Wars trailer. Oh, God, he gives me shivers just li- listening to it. I, I love Star Wars. I've talked about my love for Star Wars so much and so many times on this podcast. And, of course, to literally anyone who listened to me, I mean, my coworkers, my friends and family, virtually everyone, my girlfriend. I mean, I think they're all sick of it, frankly, at this point. But... And I, I, I will not apologize for it because I love Star Wars so very much and everything about it excites me. I love, I, even the prequels, I've come around a little bit on them. You know, I saw them when I was a kid. There's a bit of nostalgia to them as well, but I, I just love everything to do with Star Wars and it's, it's really cool to see it kind of come to a close finally. I know I know. I should say I'm sad. I'm not, because we know there's going to be Star Wars for the rest of probably time, right? I mean, there's going to be a new trilogy with the D&D guys, like the, you know, Benioff and Weiss, the, the Game of Thrones guys. Uh, there's going to be a Ryan Johnson trilogy. Kevin Feige from Marvel, he's making his own Star Wars movie, and it looks like once Kathleen Kennedy decides to call it quits, which may be, you know, the next five to ten years, Kevin Feige will probably run Star Wars too, right? So, I don't know. I just feel like I just... It was important for me to get this into this episode because Star Wars is coming to an end and, you know, I think I I, I get the sense that it'll be, I think this one will be a very satisfying conclusion to the trilogy. You know, I think there's always going to be a a vocal minority of people who don't like something, right? And that, that, that doesn't just apply to Star Wars. It applies to virtually everything, right? I mean, maybe you don't like Parasite. Maybe you don't like Joker. We, We all know the discourse I mentioned before to Joker. You know, maybe you don't like Gemini Man. Maybe you don't like... Any other movie under the sun, right? I mean, it's it's always going to happen. And I think it's just in recent memory with the Disney acquisition of Star Wars and, and the movies they've created become, becoming kind of div- divisive. And, you know, there are people like Rogue One. I, I, for one, did not... I don't love Rogue One. I still love it. I still like it because it's it's a part of Star Wars lore, the Star Wars canon. It's another Star Wars movie for me to watch whenever I want, you know? But, yeah, I don't know. It's just, in a general sense, now that Star Wars is coming to an end... I just wanted to get that in there. It sounds like there's going to be a lot of really kind of big changes in between The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker, right? It sounds like perhaps there might be a time jump of sorts. We know that Carrie Fisher is not alive anymore, so maybe she... Maybe they maybe they do a time jump and she passes away in between. We also know that J.J. Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy and everyone at Lucasfilm and, and Disney have said that they didn't want to recast her or use CGI or something. So there there is actual footage of Carrie Fisher in this movie that has been taken from, you know, unused footage from The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. So I guess we'll see, uh, you know, what kind of scenes they had to rewrite to fit Carrie Fisher's presence. And of course, you know, she's like, you know, one of the major characters, one of the major actors, I should say, who passed away. So I feel like they have to do it right by her, right? Because, of course, Carrie Fisher and Princess Leia both are so beloved in Star Wars and the fans alike. I don't know. I, I think this one will do a lot to it'll go go far in soothing, you know, the fans, you know, the, that the vocal minority I mentioned that did not perhaps care for The Last Jedi. I mean, we probably all know someone. I have some family and friends who did not care for The Last Jedi at all. So, Here's hoping they like this one a little better. The Rise of Skywalker coming out in December. And I'm, we're obviously going to do a full episode on The Rise of, uh, Rise of Skywalker. Got some guests in here. I have some really excited and exuberant coworkers who, who just live and breathe Star Wars. Mike, Mark Gujan, who has, of course, been on the podcast himself. He is now the host of uh, a YouTube channel, kind of project for sports. And they called Sportsnet at the Movies. And they recently just did a Star Wars one about pod racing. So if you haven't, if you're interested in that, maybe check it out. It's on Sportsnet here in Canada on their YouTube channel. But Mark will be a great person. We'll get some other people in here. Maybe have a bit of a Star Wars roundtable, perhaps. We haven't done that in a while, right? So there you go. But for now, we're going to move on to our actual movies. And we're going to 
kick things off with my friend Rob Wong on Bong Joon-ho's masterpiece, I think, Parasite. Joining me now in studio to chat about the critically acclaimed Parasite is my friend and co-worker Rob Wong. Rob is a host, of course, at Sportsnet 590 The Fan here in Toronto, and he was also the host of his own podcast, Wong on One. Great name for a podcast. Now, Rob, before we get into talking about Parasite, I wanted to ask you about the catalog of Bong Joon-ho, the director of Parasite itself, of course. You know, he's had, a quite, he's had quite a few movies out, such as Snowpiercer, Okja, etc. So I wanted to ask, prior to Parasite, had you seen any of his movies or, you know, what was your level of familiarity with his films? Well, S- Snowpiercer is one that you mentioned that I've seen bits and pieces of. And the first thing that I think of Snowpiercer is the whole uh, conspiracy theory that it's the sequel to Willy Wonka and oh, the Chocolate right. Factory. Like that's <laughs> that's the first thing I immediately think of right. when uh, when I think of that movie. And I've, I haven't seen the whole thing, but I actually haven't seen any of his other movies. Okay, um, so like Okja mm-hmm. is another one that was critically acclaimed, and I didn't see that. And the only reason I actually saw this movie is because my girlfriend uh, really wanted to see it at TIFF. Okay, she wasn't able to get tickets, and then uh, I remembered that. That it was coming out, and uh, we bought tickets, and, and we saw it on opening weekend here in Toronto. And uh, she actually texted me uh, earlier today to to mention that uh, to say on this podcast that it's her favorite movie that she's seen in like the last several really? years. Cool. Like she okay. loved it that much, and she's All a right. big fan uh, of uh, Bong Joon Ho. But I, I really didn't ha- have much of an idea of of you know what this guy really makes as far as movies go because I hadn't seen any of his stuff and the more I read about it I mean you know sort of like the dark comedies and the black yeah. comedies that's that's kind of right up his alley yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just sort of you know weird things that you see on the screen that's just sort of unexpected so he's he's definitely someone that thinks outside the box and I definitely got that sense you know watching watching this movie because it t- just took so many different twists and turns I feel like the the parasite is probably best seen in my opinion without any context you know like I saw the trailer one time I was lucky enough to see it at TIFF, and the I mean, you, when you see the movies at TIFF, sometimes you see them with a lot of people from you know, like a lot of other critics or you know, people in the industry. And I find that sometimes when you see those the, in this in those screenings, people tend to be very uh, I don't know if the word it's not ho hum is not the right word, but they seem to be very critical or it takes a lot to impress them, I guess, yeah. right? And even so, this kind of cynical crowd seem to be really into Parasite. And I get the sense that a lot of people, conversations I had with people in line or people in the actual theater, nobody really had any idea what the movie was actually about other than it was a movie that dealt with the issues of class and I guess moving between classes if that's even possible. Yeah. And Martin Scorsese would have loved this film. This oh my is gosh, yeah. <laughs> cinema at its finest, right? So it's right up his alley. But I, I felt the same way because uh, you know, I, I, I watched the trailer just once mm-hmm. and after watching it, I didn't even watch it a second time. I, I watched it once and I was just sort of like, okay, I have no idea what this movie is about. And I think I might have an idea of what's going on. And then when I saw the movie, I was like, oh, okay, I was completely off. Like yep. the, the trailer, not a, that, that it throws you off, but like it gives the air that something's not right and something's sort of uh, at a miss. But then when you watch it, like I said, there's just so many twists and turns that you, I mean, I guess you sort of see coming, but not really like in, in that sense. So um, that, that's what I really enjoyed about it that, um, you know, I went into it. I tend to, 
not really care about spoilers to begin with. I'm sure. not that type of person, okay. but I wanted to go into this movie not really having a sense of what I was going to watch, and I actually enjoyed it quite a bit because of that. I think Parasite might be a movie or the movie that I've seen in quite some time that when it starts to kind of morph into something different, right? About I guess it's about the halfway mark, I would say, right? Because even after it changes, there's still quite a bit of film left to go, right? Still a bit of the narrative to be completed. And there's that scene where, you know, they're they're rushing down the staircase and you hear the violins in the background. And I, I swear everyone in the audience, me included, were on the edge of their seat because you're kind of <laughs> wondering, what are they going to find? What are they yeah. going to see? What are you, the audience, going to see? And and, it, and I thought it was really cool that Bong Joon-ho, he, he, he met, went from following the character down the stairs, you know, with the camera showing this person from a third-person view, and it kind of quickly morphs into a first-person view, mm. which I thought was really cool. And I think that really did a lot to enhance the the suspense that maybe you might have felt, that the whole audience felt when you were, you know, when this tonal shift seems to happen in the movie. Yeah, in that exact moment, I remember my girlfriend just all of a sudden, like, couldn't look at the screen because she thought <laughs> there was going to be some sort of, like, jump scare right, or something right. crazy was going to happen. And something crazy does happen, but um, I was sort of like, okay, like, what could possibly, you know, go on here? Because as I said, uh, you have an expectation going in of, of what you think this movie is about. And that that was sort of the, the moment, right, where it all switches and you're just like, okay, well, what is this thing actually about? And then you find out and you're like, oh, this is definitely uh, a twist and a change in how I view this movie now and, and what's exactly uh, going on. But but, uh, but, uh, but that's the aspect that I liked about it, that it always kept you on your toes. Right. That you weren't exactly sure, like, what exactly is going on here and, and where is this going to lead? That was the question I kept having throughout the entire movie. Like, what's going to happen next? Like, all this stuff has already gone on, and it's like, at some point, you know it's got to come to an end. Something's There's going to be some sort of finality. Um, but that just, uh, that's that's the part I liked about it. It was such a roller coaster ride that it, it just, you know, took so many different twists and turns that you weren't really expecting. I, I thought something that was really interesting about Parasite was that the director, and he, he clearly does this intentionally. I mean, also, it's weird to say that any director does, any, does anything intention, unintentionally, right? Yeah. Because everything is done very specifically. But even so, I find that Parasite demonstrates over and over again and again that each of these families, the Kims and the Parks, the kind of have-nots and the haves, I guess to put it another way, uh, they've been shaped by these very, I guess, oppressive forces, right, uh, and of society. And, and in the end, it seems to rob them of their humanity at different moments in their fi- in the film, right? Like it pushes them into competition with each other. And, and you, the viewer, right, like we get to see this... They, they they both seem to really viscerally dislike people that are cla- class wise different from them, right? I yeah. mean, you see the Kims; they just dis- they dislike the the rich Parks so much, and the Parks look down on you know the have nots with such disdain, right? And I I find that really interesting because it's a and clearly Bong Joon Ho does this because this is something that's really topical and it's really prevalent in modern society, right? But I, I think it was a really dark reflection of how this is something that, because I feel like, you know, people seem to think this only happens maybe in North America or somewhere else, but it happens obviously all over the world in different in different fashions. And I thought it was really fascinating that Bong Joon-ho showed this dark reflection of society in this movie and still somehow managed to make it kind of funny almost. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of comedy throughout, yeah. throughout the movie. Um, some of it, some of it is dark. Some of it is, is lighthearted at times. And, you know, I, I, there's there's one scene uh, in the second half of the movie where uh, Mrs. Park is is shopping with right. Mr. Kim, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, he's 
going about she's going about her day doing all these things getting ready for a birthday party and he's with her and he's sort of um you know getting a look into her life and just how easy it is for her to to go and buy anything she wants and she's you know having all these friends over basically everything is at her fingertips right and, and there's something that had just happened in his life that was pretty traumatic and and you know obviously um you know ha- has had a big impact on him and, and you're really just seeing um sort of the difference in the class like like we talked about and, and you know that's something that uh bong Joon-ho definitely makes a case of in this movie to really show the differential between the two families and like this is the haves and, and these are the have-nots and um, when those two worlds collide, that's that's really the interesting dynamic of this movie, just to see um, how those people interact with each other. Because um, you know, you have an expectation of like, oh, like this is, you know, I've seen all these other movies where this yeah. stuff goes on, and it's like, oh, this is how these people are supposed to act to these people. But you know, there's some things along the way that definitely um, aren't exactly run of the mill, which I really enjoyed. That's that same scene actually. I thought uh, Song Kang Ho, the actor who plays the the father, uh, the the Kim father, I should say. Uh, he he is. I think he was my my favorite individual actor in this He's movie. Incredible, yeah. He was so so good. His that guy accomplishes so much with just a twitch of some of his facial muscle muscles. It's it's actually remarkable what he does. He he was also in Snowpiercer. I think he had a relatively sm- a smaller role. I think in he's been in all of his movies. Right? Yeah, I think he's, I think so. I think the one in, constant. Yeah, exactly. He's this. Uh, he's a uh, Bong Joon Ho's muse, I guess. <laughs> right. Uh, and he was also in this great. I, I don't know if you ever seen it. This. Uh, it's a kind of a Korean Western called The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. No, I've not And seen that's it. absolutely fantastic. It's kind of like a, a twist on The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Right. And there's like these three main characters, and he plays, you know, quote unquote, the weird, I okay. guess, right? And oh, what a, it's a fantastic movie. He's a, he's a phenomenal actor, but I, I, I dare say that in this Parasite, in this movie, he gives, I think, the performance of his career because you see the the lengths he's willing to go, right? Even from the moment that's in the trailer, right? At the very beginning of the movie where they, you know, they, the fumigation is coming into their apartment and he says, oh, leave the apartment window open. We're going to get free fumigation. Or, you know, they, they fold pizza boxes and it's it's slowly kind of zooming in on his face as you see him kind of contemplate what he's doing. And, you know, he, he he's kind of like like the whole family, right, to an extent are you know, kind of Robin Hood-esque, right? They kind of scheme, and they're a couple of charlatans because they, they don't see any problem with living life uh, in order to get ahead, right? Mm. Because, because they don't have as much, right? Whereas comparison to that scene you mentioned with the, the dad and the, and the park mother, she, um, you know, there was, I think there was a line, I saw the movie a couple months ago, but there was a line in the film in that same scene where she goes, she's on the phone to one of her friends and she kind of laughs it off. He's like, oh, you know, it's, we're, we will, we'll just throw it all away. We'll yeah. throw the rest away or something. <laughs> and she kind of laughs and he, it, it kind of like zooms in on his face a little bit and he, it, it's such a dark expression. Yeah. And I thought he does an absolutely amazing job in this movie. Oh, he's, he's the, the scene stealer. Yeah. And it's funny when you watch the, the trailer and, and for the most of the movie, uh, it's the Kim's son. Like he's sort of the, the main character yeah, yeah. of it. But in the end, I mean, the, the dad is the one guy that you're really concentrating on the most. And, and he's the one for me, anyways, that had the biggest impact, you know, in this film. Um, he he really has the the biggest role. But I felt like the casting was just perfect. Like every character, every actor, just you know, suited it so well. Like I didn't think anybody that had a, a main role in this movie you know, did a poor job. Like, yeah. that's how well acted it was. And, and the casting um, was just uh, incredible. Like, even the children were really good, the the kids that were hired to act in this movie. So, 
you know, it, it's it's always difficult when you see something like the recency bias plays into it because sure. you think like, oh man, like this is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. And it definitely is. Like it's definitely one of the coolest movies that I've seen in, in recent years. Um, but it is difficult to like find faults uh, in it because I just enjoyed it so much uh, like uh, compared to some other, you know, artsy cinema type movies that yeah. I've seen uh, in recent memory, like The, the Farewell, uh, another sure, okay. Asian movie. Yeah. Um, uh, who's the uh, director in that? Uh, uh, Lily uh, uh, Wang. Lulu Wang. Lulu, Sorry, Lulu Wang. Wang. Yeah, Lulu, Lulu Wang. Wang. Like that movie was incredible. Very similar in a vein, like dark comedy, yes, like yeah. black comedy. Um, so it, it's difficult to compare the two because they're two different stories and, and two different um, directors. But um, like as far as Asian cinema goes, and I'm mm-hmm. trying to relate it, like those two really stand out yeah. as far as movies that I've seen uh, in recent memory. So yeah, it's difficult to look at this, uh, look at Parasite and, and give it any sort of, uh, you know, negatives. But like that's just how good this movie is from top to bottom. Like it's just so impressive. I guess we'll end on this note then. And on the actual ending of the movie, you know, after kind of all the action has happened, and it, it almost it's almost it almost has a bit of an epilogue, right? Like it, even though that is the ending of the film, it kind of, it kind of takes place again after all the action has happened, and you, the viewer, are kind of left wondering what happens because it's such a frenzied climax to the movie, right? Yeah. And it's it, I thought it was really interesting because the, the climax takes place in broad daylight. <laughs> everything is everything. Everyone sees everything. There's no kind of mistake about what happens or what may not happen. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everything. You, the viewer, are, are so clear implicated in what happens because you know everything that's been going on as opposed to anyone else, right? Which I find really interesting. But I almost feel like the last scene of the movie, the very last scene, I'm not going to, I don't want to describe it for for spoilers purposes, but, you know, I, I found it to be very... Even though, it, you know, it's question, you, can, you can question whether it was real or not, I thought it was very hopeful. Mm. And, and I thought that was a, a really interesting way to end a movie like we talked about uh, that's about, uh, you know, a dark reflection of modern society and all these issues of class and money and haves and have-nots that, that are very real issues in society today. I thought it was interesting that Bong Joon-ho chose to end the movie on a, on a hopeful message that maybe, you know, translating between classes or being class mobility or being more positive on, on that note. Yeah, I was really curious to see how all, you know, all of it was going to get tied together at the end because, like I said, it's pretty frenzied, the the climax, and there's so many different ways that he could have gone. And, and in the end, um, I actually I liked it at first when I was watching. I was like, okay, this is sort of hokey, and it's maybe a little bit too optimistic. Like yeah. you've shown us all these different things throughout the movie. Sometimes you just want sort of the sour ending, right, and be like, <laughs> it's, it's just kind of fitting. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, that's how it should play out. Um, but, you know, the more I thought about it, especially after I left, I was like, you know what, that was that was a nice little moment because, you know, in the, in the end, um, the the Kim family they are the the, the main characters of this story and uh, you know they've been through so many hardships that you do appreciate the fact that in the end they do get a little bit of optimism they get a little bit of hope and not joy necessarily but they get something out yeah. of it because yeah. it's been such a a trying you know three hours almost of <laughs> of a movie that we've watched but uh, I, I did appreciate that that um, in the end there is a little bit of hope like you mentioned I feel like it's a it's a movie that leaves you pretty exhausted at the end of it, you know, because mm. not not just because you're thinking about so many things, but because it changes so many times. And like you said, I think you used the word roller coaster. And I think that's a great example. That's a great way to describe this movie because so many things happen and you feel 
you've expended your own energy to not just keep up, but to kind of keep yourself in your seat, right? Because so many things happen. I thought it was it was a great movie, and it look it looks like uh, from history at least, what winners of the Palme d'Or and movies that have gone on to receive such acclaim have done. I mean, I know we shouldn't necessarily reduce movies to will it win an Oscar, or will it not right. win an Oscar, or will it receive awards? It's a it's a good movie without any of those acclaim, you know, any of those accolades, I should say, on its own. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it does seem to be headed for some kind of. Uh, recognition at the major, uh, you know, awards festivals, major award ceremonies coming up in the next couple of months. Yeah, I, I guess you know if it ends up in a category with like Hustlers or something for uh, Best <laughs> Picture, that would be uh, quite impressive. But yeah, like you said, the winning the Palm Door, I was a little stunned at TIFF that it didn't win. Uh, I guess the the, the, the popular the People's yeah. Choice, yeah, 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 JoJo yeah. Rabbit. I, think. I was kind of surprised too. Actually. Yeah, because I'm like, man, if it wins the Palm Door, <laughs> like how is how is it not a shoe in? But yeah. I guess you know Canadians, I mean, Toronto Joker, love Joker JoJo won Rabbit. The, Joker won the uh, not not the Palm Door. It won the like Golden Lion or whatever okay. it was at the Venice Film Festival, which yeah. I guess is the equivalent. Um, and it was the first time a movie, like a you know comic book movie or a blockbuster movie, had won the that award at the Venice Festival. So uh, it's interesting, right? Because the if you look at the past winners of the People's Choice Award at TIFF, I think every single one of those movies in the last fifteen years, not necessarily have gone on to win Best Picture, but they've gone on to win something at the mm. at the Oscars whether it's like best adapted screenplay or best picture or you know you know other screenplay awards acting awards they're they're usually these kind of uh, awards at the various film festivals seem to be harbinger for things to come uh, coming in later in the season yeah and it's definitely got a great chance with all the you know uh, you know critical acclaim that it's gotten and you know, uh, to to pump the uh, Asian cinema tires yeah. right now, like it's, I mean, it's been a massive last couple of years, right, for the Asian community when it comes to to movies mm-hmm. and film. You know, Crazy Rich Asians was a a blockbuster yeah. hit. Uh, I think of you know this movie, The Farewell, uh, Burning last year, the Korean film uh, was incredible. So uh, you know, uh, not that uh, Asian cinema has ever been you know looked down on. I mean, action movies like Hong Kong action movies have always been That's true. pretty big, and yeah. Korean horror movies. But right now, there's just like a massive boom uh, when it comes to Asian cinema and people are really jumping on it so uh, it's great I mean they're they're good movies but you know uh, of course that's not like um, they're they're just bad flicks and people are just uh, putting it out there for the sake of you know trying to get the Asian bump if you will but yeah, yeah. Uh, like this is just another movie that that's come out over the last couple of years that is right in line with some of the other ones that I mentioned so it feels like it, it could be a big uh, award season coming up for uh, Bong Joon-ho and I mean deservedly so like the, this guy's made some great films over the last uh, you know 20 years or so so this guy uh, you know definitely deserves it oh, yeah I think I would say right now it's probably a lock for best foreign feature film and I and I but I'm really hoping that it gets a couple of you know quote-unquote mainstream nominations like best picture best director because I think he, he really deserves it now, Rob I, I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast again today thank you yeah, so man, much no problem Thanks again to my friend and coworker Rob Wong for that great chat on Parasite. If you haven't seen Parasite, I really recommend you go see it. It has some great moments and, you know, they're, they're, the crowd is just, it's such a crowd pleaser, but it also is a movie that has something to say. We talked about the hopeful ending, but it also really, don't get me wrong, it is a dark movie at times. It really is, it truly is very interesting to watch and it's, it's just Everything about it is entertaining from from top to bottom. I, mean, I kind of feel bad for laughing at, at points, right? Because you're you're laughing at things that are people's misfortune and that kind of thing. But even so, Parasite is a fantastic film, and I, I recommend you all go watch it before the Oscars. Because, I, like I mentioned to Rob, I do truly believe it'll be a big player at the Oscars this year. Maybe maybe best original screenplay, almost definitely best foreign feature film. 
I hope Best Picture and Best Director nominations as well. But you never know with the Oscars. You never really know. And like I mentioned to Rob again, you don't want to reduce things to will it or will it not win an Oscar. But at the same time, yeah, it's a fantastic movie and it deserves as many eyeballs on it as possible. And one movie that has not suffered from, you know, lack of eyeballs has been Joker. Everyone you know, under the sun, it seems like has gone to see Joker because of all the, you know, I, I use the word discourse a lot, the discourse surrounding the film, the discussion surrounding the film. Is it, did it need to be made? Did it not need to be made? You know, is it good or bad? You know, what, what, what does it add? Walking Phoenix's performance. These are all things that I think are at least at the very least valid to talk about. Right. I mean, whether you like the film or dislike the film was up to you, I think, but that's the movie I want to talk about next. So let's get right to it. Todd Phillips, Joker. one thing about Joker, funnily enough, that has, I think, gone maybe, I don't know if underreported or under-discussed is the right word, because with movies like these that make this much money, I think virtually nothing can be used, you know, in those terms, if that makes sense, right? But at the same time, the music, it's, it's great, great soundtrack. Todd Phillips, the director, who, you know, he's known for doing movies like uh, Jude 8, if you guys remember that one, with Robert Downey Jr. and Zach Galifianakis, and, of course, the uh, Hangover movies, right, with all those guys as well. And, yeah, you know what, it was a... Uh, it, those are funny movies, and I think he he doesn't really have... There's no real trace of those movies, I, I would say, in Joker, outside of the music. The music is definitely very much a Todd Phillips esque picks and i mean these are famous songs right like this is a very famous song as well i mean you guys know it maybe it, maybe it was used in a number of movies i i always think of this movie song from the, the replacements actually funnily enough uh that 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 movie is one of my favorite football movies uh, maybe that says more about me, you know, than anything else. But this movie is is very famous, and there's some Frank Sinatra you'll hear later on in the show, and you know, there's Guess Who and Cream, and you know, uh, a whole bunch of other things as well. I think that it's just a lot, a lot of really good musical choices, and I think that's one of my favorite parts, if not my favorite part of Joker. And look, I don't want to spend too much time on this movie because I think it's it's pretty well discussed, right? And I do want to say, I want to highlight a couple things about Joker because I want you to know, if you have not seen this movie, okay, but you were looking for a superhero movie, you know, about gleeful acts of destruction, one-liners, explosions, this is not the movie for you, okay? It is very much a character study. It's about this guy on the fringe of soci- fringes of society, and he feels marginalized and ignored, and the themes that I think ring throughout Joker, okay, are these two things. The idea of the rich versus the poor and the theme of mental illness, which I think is interesting because I did mention at the beginning of the episode that, you know, Parasite and Joker and, and to an extent Gemini Man have some overlapping themes. And one big theme that overlaps, of course, is the idea of the rich versus the poor, right? And regarding that first one, the haves and have-nots, the, the audience meets... You know, mayoral candidate Thomas Wayne, interesting, uh, patriarch of the Wayne family, a uh, father to one Bruce, in case you've forgotten. Uh, and he, he's portrayed as this rich, out-of-touch snob who looks down on those, you know, looks down his nose on those who have less than him, so basically everybody in the entire world, right? And his views 
incite riots and, and violence, mob violence, because the common folk of, of Gotham City can't stand this elitist billionaire while social services are getting cut by the day. So that's kind of the plot of this movie because that, that, those are the, I wanted to mention that off the top because those are the circumstances that Arthur, the character who becomes the Joker, he, he, those are the circumstances he lives in and experiences in, in the Gotham of the 80s because that's when the movie takes place in the 80s, right? So I find that really interesting because this movie has virtually nothing to do with Batman, right? There, like, there are some almost kind of obligatory contractual obligations, it seems, to the Batman canon that Todd Phillips goes through here, goes through with here. But it's, it doesn't really matter, right? Because, you know, it, it's, it's so fleeting that it, it doesn't really have anything to do with Joker or, you know, because we all know Joker is like the, he's like the eternal foil to Batman, right? They, they kind of exist clashing against each other for like all of time, I guess, right? So in that sense, if, if that's what you're looking for, again, a kind of dark, gritty movie with Batman in it. Batman's not in this movie, okay? There's some fun, like, kind of illusions that Todd Phillips kind of does, especially near the end of the movie. I thought it was kind of fun the way they do it, but at the same time, it's not really about Batman, right? It's about Joker, and via Joker, it's about Walking Phoenix, right? And and that's the performance you're really interested in, right? I mean, good news for you. If that's what you came here to see, you get something really great. He's he's really brought his A-game for this one, I think. He's He's always been a tremendous actor, right? I mean, he's pretty much always the best part of any film he's in, whether it's 2013's Her, last year he was in The Sisters Brothers, which I talked about on this podcast. I really like that one. He's just a great actor in general, right? But I think Joaquin manages to, let's say, somehow up his intensity for Joker, right? He loses a substantial amount of weight. You see his ribs straining against his skin. He dances with his, with a kind of a manic energy. The corners of his mouth twist. His his kind of like neurotic, neuroses laugh. Which, which they explain in the movie, it causes him to gasp for air and he, he can't stop himself. It's so fully realized and he really commits to it, which I think makes it so entertaining. And by any other actor, I think it would be kind of, uh, you know, it'd be kind of like, boo, it's kind of, kind of, what's the word, campy, I guess, but in a bad way. You know, the bad campy instead of the good campy. Like, good campy to me is like... uh Tom Hardy and Venom, you know? I think that's I think that's kind of fun. It's kind of fun campy, even though that movie is utter trash, right? Whereas, you know, this is kind of like a different kind of thing. But anyways, Joaquin Phoenix, tremendous. I think he's going to get a lot of recognition in the various award ceremonies coming on this later this year. Who knows about the Oscars? The Oscars are very much a stacked race this year, right? With Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, Rizzi Fons. Like, there's lots of people who are going to be in the, in the running there, right? The guys from The Irishman, everyone, right? So it's not a given that he wins. We'll see soon. The Golden Globes are coming up soon, so we'll see. But uh, he's, he's definitely the star of the show. He's in virtually every single scene, right? He's in almost every single scene, so it's hard not to be, right? But uh, there's some other guys as well. Um, Zazie Beetz, who's from TV's uh, Atlanta. She also was in Deadpool too. Uh, she joins as his next-door neighbor, as Arthur's next-door neighbor. And uh, Hollywood stalwart Robert De Niro, late-night talk show host, plays uh, late-night talk show host Murray Franklin. And it's uh, no secret, Todd Phillips paid some homage to King of Comedy, so it's kind of fun to see De Niro, who played kind of the Arthur Fleck-type character in uh, in King of Comedy in the 80s or whatever, right? So that's kind of cool. There's some there's some not-so-subtle references to Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. I mean, if you took off the Batman filter of this movie, it's basically Taxi Driver, right? So it's kind of clearly, clearly Todd Phillips grew up watching Martin Scorsese more than anything else. Um, one negative, maybe, is the script. You know, it's a little on the nose, he goes after the rich poor angle with virtually every piece of dialogue, and it's a little predictable. I mean, when it gets to the end of the movie, where you you see the whole the famous quote, "You get what you deserve," that whole scene, you can probably predict how it plays out for the most part. Maybe not dialogue wise, but you can probably predict how it plays out 
you know, narrative wise. And you can, I think it, it kind of, because of that, it kind of robs it of, of some drama, I think, but it's still, I think the good thing about this movie is that the most unsettling, most uneasy moments come well before that. And they truly are genuinely unnerving. So you kind of forget, you know, that you're holding your breath until that's over, which I think is really cool. Um, one, one thing about this movie is that people have said, oh man, what a risk for this movie. What a risk that Warner Brothers took in making this movie. Let's, let's get something straight here, okay? Disregarding Todd Phillips, because Todd Phillips, he's not a bad director by any means, right? But that, in terms of the actual property, okay, let's, let's look at the facts here. Joker is one of the most enduringly popular characters in the history of movies. At the very least, in the last 30 years, 1989 was when the Jack Nicholson movie came out, Batman with Michael Keaton, and Jack Nicholson plays the Joker, of course, and that movie was ex- exquisitely famous, super popular, you know, so the Joker has been in multiple TV shows and movies, and Heath Ledger won an Oscar for this exact role just a little over 10 years ago. So I don't want to hear about how the Joker was uh, without Batman is some kind of, oh, some kind of big risk, right? It's not. It also has a giant A-list actor playing him, Joaquin Phoenix, who has been one of the best actors basically his entire career in Hollywood, and then... It's about it's it's a superhero movie as well. It's a or or a, a big big time blockbuster movie backed by a big time studio like Warner Brothers, right? So I don't want to hear about how Joker is a risk. It's not a risk, and I think look, I'm not saying I'm not saying to boo Warner Brothers for making it because they they will reap the rewards of this, right? This movie cost I don't know how much money to make, like what fifty million, sixty million to make, maybe maybe a little more than that if you add in the marketing stuff, right? Right, but it's now made worldwide. Now that it's been out in theaters for a couple of weeks. It's made worldwide almost $850 million. It's made 277 mil domestically and 571 mil internationally, which I think is absolutely wild. It is now the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time, which is really, really cool. It's, it's cool to see movies do well and a little bit of different movies, but at the end of the day, it's not a risk. It's not a risk. So I just wanted to disabuse people of that notion because... Uh, for the most part, it's a pretty safe movie, and there's not going to be a sequel to this movie. I, I would I would doubt it, right? But I, I still find it interesting that people call it a risk because it it really is not. But that aside, Joker is a, is a really interesting movie. I, I think it's it's very divisive in terms of people think it's good or not. I personally lean on the good side, but I would probably say like a six or seven out of ten, right? Because outside of Joaquin Phoenix's performance, which I loved, everything else about it is kind of mediocre. You know what I mean? It's really just about Joaquin Phoenix and his performance and seeing him act. And for that, it's worth the price of admission. But for anything else, I think it's probably a pass. So if you're if you're the kind of person who listens to this podcast and only goes to see him, like, you know, two to three movies a year, and you'd be you'd be the the regular person. I'm the aberration here, right? I go see like I go see like four movies a month, right? The average Canadian, the average North American goes to see like two to three movies in 12 months, right? So if you're one of those people, I would probably say there are better movies to watch and just wait for this one to come to on demand because in terms of money spent versus what you're getting out of it, you're really only getting out of it the pleasure of watching Walking Phoenix, if that makes sense. It's funny, I saw both Joker and Parasite. I was very lucky to see them both at TIFF at one of the press screenings, which is really, really cool. And I, like I said, I was lucky enough to see them there. So again, it's been a couple of months since I last saw... Actually, I did see Joker again in theaters, and Parasite only now came to theaters. So, you know, I probably will see it again as well. But one movie I saw actually just a couple days ago, and I'm excited to talk about it, at least for a little while, was 
Gemini Man, which was directed by Ang Lee, he of the Oscars himself, right? So Ang Lee, very interesting director, but the most interesting aspect of Gemini Man, which of course stars Will Smith, and I would say it's probably one of the better Will Smith movies out there in ages, but also because Will Smith has not had very many good movies <laughs> recently, is simply that... Of the, of the kind of visual aspect of this film, right? Because I think that's the big the big draw with uh, Gemini Man, and, and we'll talk about it in a sec. So before we get too much further into the actual review, let's quickly hit the music and get to a Gemini Man. I got a woman way over town that's good to me. Okay, let's get right into it with Gemini Man. Of course, like I mentioned before, directed by Ang Lee, starring Will Smith, and also co-starring Clive Owen and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And look, I didn't hate Gemini Man, but it has a it has the the main issue with it is is the story. It is the most predictable, bare bones, downright kind of stupid story I've seen in a movie in quite some time, which is a shame because it really wastes some good performances from Will Smith, which hasn't happened in a long time, like I mentioned before the music, and also has not, you know, we haven't seen a good Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And she's not really in a lot of movies, period, but she was good in this in this movie too. They had great chemistry. Clive Owen was good. Benedict Wong, who also was in this movie, was pretty good. The, the performances were, were strong. It's just what they're doing is just kind of stupid, you know? And, and of course, if you're unfamiliar with the, with the plot of this film, it is simply that... Will Smith plays an assassin named Henry Brogan, and Henry is an assassin who's retiring. He's begin to his conscience is beginning to kind of weigh on him with all the killing he's done. So he retires, and as he's retiring, you know Clive Owen, his former handler and former kind of marine pal, sends an assassin to kill him. And <gasps> surprise, it's Will Smith. It's young Henry, so conveniently named Junior. Right. So I don't know. I just. It's the, the 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 draw of Gemini Man is simply that you know it's the kind of technology that allows Will Smith to play himself because it is Will Smith playing himself. It's not like a, someone else body doubling and CGIing in for him. It's him. He plays himself. He does the voice acting. He does the actual acting. Everything, but it's like Will Smith circa nineteen ninety five kind of thing, right? Like Independence Day, Fresh Prince, Will Smith, and it's really cool to watch. Like it's. I, I kind of thought I'd be a little wonky, you know, but seeing it in action, seeing him move and fight in the, in, you know, in daylight and in the, in night, seeing them kind of move around with each other and fight with each other. It's, it's all very well done. I have no doubt that this will garner some attention from some technical awards a- aspect because it's very impressive work. It's very painstaking work. It looks like, right. Which is very impressive. The movie is also filmed in 60 FPS, which I think was kind of distracting for me at times because it looks like almost like too real. It looks like you're having a, a window into something that's happening right in front of you, which you think you might think is cool, but honestly it's quite distracting. And I almost feel like there's a part to this movie that the 60 FPS takes away from, and it's when they fight each other, right? It's when the actual when they're actually in hand-to-hand combat or moving around, it's 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 almost a little too blurry because your eyes can't your eyes can't keep up with the action happening on the screen, which is kind of weird, right? Because you, you would think that your eyes are the best cameras that exist, right? So that that's an interesting aspect of Gemini Man that 
I, I didn't really expect going into it. But again, the visual effects work is truly impressive. It's funny, though, at the very end of the movie, it seems to kind of fall apart a little bit, and it seems to be very video game-esque. And the other thing about this movie that I really find weird, and I mentioned the word video game-esque, this movie is basically a video game. Like, if you've ever played Call of Duty, or if you've ever played Medal of Honor, or if you've ever played, I don't know, any of those war game video games, right? I think Call of Duty is probably the best example because it's so popular. But if you play, if, if you just wanted to make Call of Duty Modern Warfare 5, or Modern, Call of Duty Ghosts 2, or whatever the hell these various games are, Black Ops 8, or whatever you have now, right? If you were to make the movie, or that video game, pardon me, and... You just add Will Smith into that film, into that video game. You basically have Gemini Man, you know, like everything from the kind of initial tutorial mission about learning who he is, some kind of stilted dialogue, you know, meeting the female lead, the love interest with some sassy one liners, doing some reconnaissance work, escaping in the, in the dead of night with nothing but a pistol and, 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 and like a bag of you know, passports and stuff like that, you know, stealth mission, boss fights, chase scenes on motorcycles and cars. You know what I mean? Like all those things are obviously successful aspects of action movies as well. But because I think of the aspect of, you know, the younger clone and the way the CGI looks and the 60 FPS, it made me feel like I was basically watching, like you ever see those videos on YouTube where someone takes out all the action from a video game and he's just like, it's like, watch Call of Duty Modern Warfare cutscenes and it's like you're watching like an hour's worth of cutscenes in terms of, it's like you're watching a big movie. Sometimes I said to myself, man, I wish I didn't have to play this game. I wish I could just watch the cutscenes because they're so pretty, they're so beautiful, like in Fallout or in Borderlands or in, 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 in other kind of, you know, if you, if you want to go to other video games like Warcraft and Starcraft and stuff like that. I feel like... Gemini Man is like that, you know. It's like it's like Ang Lee heard my wishes and said, "Okay, Shoaib, we'll give you we'll give you the one the thing that you want." And they basically made a movie that was me watching someone else play Call of Duty, essentially, right? Which I think I don't know. It really detracted from my experience. Look, the action the action was good. Okay, the action was great when you could see what was happening, right? It was very well choreographed. They had some clever, you know, clever moves the two guys do with each other there's some you know great gunplay very john wick like at, at, at times which i think has become the kind of new popular thing to do which which is not a bad thing right i mean it's 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 entertaining to watch right so there's that but yeah i don't know the story takes away from it so much that it's so utterly predictable like when when junior finds out he's a clone and then he goes to confront his father clive owen's character clay and he asks him about it he just like you think they kind of reconcile and then the, the ver- literally the very next scene is you know literally the very next scene is junior stabbing clay in the back and teaming up with will smith Hen- will smith's character henry right and i i just thought to myself there's no way this is that straightforward and it turns out it is the movie is the most straightforward like i was i was there I, it's almost like there was a twist that there wasn't a twist because it was so obvious you keep, you keep thinking to yourself there's no way they're going to do this that's too obvious and then they do it and you're like oh okay well there's no way they're going to do it a second time oh okay, okay oh they did do it a second time okay well there's no way they're going to do it a third time oh they they did do it a third time weird right so they that's the movie in a nutshell to me to me it's it's not worth 
the money to see it in, in the theaters. And really, me and my, my roommate went to go see it in theaters really just because we'd been lampooning it for the last basically half year, essentially, right? Since the summer, essentially. So I, I was so happy I got to see it in theaters because I, I wanted to be able to talk about it on the podcast with you guys. And I, I think it's really interesting to see, you know, just exactly what kind of advancements Ang Lee has been pushing for. And, and don't worry, Ang Lee has a uh, dove scene, pigeon scene, where the motorcycles drive through, just like in virtually every movie from Mission Impossible 2 to now that he's done, right? So I think that's great. Uh, Gemini Man, hard pass for me. Wish I could have unseen it. Wish I could have not spent my money, but you know what? That's life. That's it for reviews in this episode. Uh, we did Joker, Gemini Man, and we chatted with Rob Wong about Parasite. Bong Joon-ho's masterpiece. So, you know, I really do think you guys should go at least check out Parasite of all of the three, you know, all interesting movies in their own way. But Parasite, I think, has the most to say. Uh, in, in future episodes, I'm trying to think what we're going to do coming up. We'll probably tackle Maleficent 2. I, th- I find that movie to be really interesting. Apparently, it's very dark, you know, dark for a, for a Disney movie. I guess we'll see, right? So there's Maleficent 2. There's that rom-com Last Christmas with uh, Amelia Clark and Henry Golding, Doctor Sleep, the kind of the Shining sequel, right, with Ian McGregor and Rebecca Ferguson, and then and then we're starting to get into the uh, kind of Oscar releases, right? We already saw Parasite and Joker be- come out. You know, there's The Good Liar with Helen Mirren and Ian McKellen. There's uh, Waves, which was really good. I saw that at TIFF as well. I saw Ford v Ferrari at TIFF. You know, I got to see A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood at TIFF. Those movies, all three of them, very good. Got to see Knives Out at TIFF, probably one of the best movies of the whole year. So we're going to talk about all of those movies in the coming weeks and the coming months, all before the end of the year as we get into November here, because a lot left in the in the 2019 calendar. And we're going to talk about everything as usual. But for now, that's it from me. Thank you so much for listening, as always, to the Showtime Movie Podcast. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Have a great night. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say You're riding high in April Shot down in May But I know I'm gonna change that tune When I'm back on top Back on top in June I said that's life That's life And as funny as it may seem